0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to the all-new WMEX 1510 AM, Quincy, Boston, and translator W266DQ101.1 FM in Weymouth. Good evening. You're listening to Courage to Hope with your host, Uncle Tony before we turn it over to Uncle Tony, folks, a little bit of background just so you get the understanding of where we're coming from here. Courage to Hope is a show about all the things that we must do together as a community to help sobriety succeed for everyone. And that's what Uncle Tony's mission has been as an activist in this for over six years now. And with the goal of helping families understand how better to cope with substance abuse, addiction, and general sobriety. Everyone deserves that opportunity, and together, everybody can have that opportunity. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce now your host, Uncle Tony.
1: Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, This is The Courage to Hope, and I'm Tony LaGreca, and tonight we're going to be interviewing Ryan Cadras. And Ryan has a very interesting story. And as you know, the way this program works is we want people to be hopeful when they have certain situations and I think Ryan is a classic example of what one can do when they have a, a little bit of an issue. Ryan was born with cerebral palsy and Ryan welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much Tony. Glad to be here.
1: You're very welcome and I didn't know who you were but I always knew who you were because <laughs> I was watching you referee basketball for the last 10 years I think and at least 10 years Is that would that be correct
2: yeah yeah i've been uh, i've been a board uh, 54 official for about 22 years now and the last uh probably 12 years i've been a varsity official so i'm very i'm very grateful for you know everything board 54 and the officiating community has done for me
1: yes you've done an outstanding job um refereeing but also showing people what you can do with something like um, cerebral palsy so let's go back to the beginning. Uh could you explain to people how one gets cerebral palsy and what's the disease all about to begin sure. with?
2: Absolutely. Um, so from my um from my knowledge, um, cerebral palsy is a birth defect. It happens um, you know, while, you know, um, you know, while uh you know, during pregnancy, you know, or during delivery, from what I've been told, uh kind of happened during during uh, my mom's delivery, um, and there are many different cases. Um, I'm very um, lucky to have a mild case where you know I can I can walk and I can uh, and I have use of my limbs and stuff. And um, but there are some people out there that are confined to wheelchairs. There are some people that have uh, more distinctive limps than I do, or their hand curls up a lot. And um, you know it's. Uh, Something that you know, you know, it's never going to go away. It's, um, it's never going to get progressively worse, from what I've been told. Uh, you just kind of live with it day by day, and you know, I mean, through some great um, doctors I've had and whatever, I've been able to maintain a pretty good life for myself so far. And um, but it's uh, it's challenging. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I mean, but it's something that anytime I go somewhere, it it's kind of in the back of my head, you know, how people perceive me.
1: Yeah. That's what you told me on the phone the other day that you, when you walk into a gym, um, you feel that some of the people in the stands notice that you have a limp or notice that you don't have, uh, a lot of use of your right hand. How does that make you feel?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was brought to my attention sometime last year. Um, I was uh, refing a game and uh, and I stuck around to watch another game. And uh, one of my brother officials came up to me and he asked me if he could tell if he could, uh, you know, you know, tell me something. I said, yeah, what's up? And he said, you know, last year I was doing a game prior to you coming in to do a varsity game in Hingham. And uh, a fan grabbed me and said, um, you know how is this guy going to do a varsity game? Look at how he's walking; his hands kind of floating in midair. And um, you know, I've never really, um, you know, um, I've, I've 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 never really encountered that through referees. I'm sure there's people behind the scenes whispering and stuff, but um, you know, for the for um, for the most part, you know, I'm. I, I get along with coaches i think coaches enjoy um having me on the games that they don't i understand um but i'm gonna be honest it um for for two weeks it really it really stuck with me to the point where i almost wanted to quit officiating
1: i i can understand that and and i will tell you the first time i saw you walk in and i knew you were going to referee our game um i was coaching girls basketball and um, I can't remember the first time i saw your coach. I think it was in the summer league um i was i was curious but i was also because I have a sister-in-law who have has cerebral palsy and like you she was born that way and, and her limitations are, are similar to what you have with your with your arm with your right <clears throat> with your right arm it's your right arm right and yeah, uh, yep, and but uh, her ability to walk is very difficult. She's in a lot of pain and she actually was able to walk for a while. She was doing okay with that, but like with the limp and everything, and now as she's gotten older and she's having a hard time, uh, it's easier for her to just move with the electric wheelchair. You know, that's a big thing. But um, the things that we take for granted, you have to be extra careful how you, how you proceed because You're used to doing everything with one hand,
2: right? Yeah. Um, you know, you know, um, you know, um, yeah, there's there's things that people take for granted all the time that uh that I'm on that I'm unable to do. Um or you know, I have difficulty do, doing or I have to make a modification for, which is fine. Um, but for example, you know, off air we were talking about uh, you know, if I was gonna be born a natural lefty and and we're talking about how some people you know, cut their meat left handed or right handed. Well, oh, guess what? I can't even cut my own meat. So uh, so as much as I always yeah. um, I very rarely do I order it when I go out to eat because uh, I would have to pass the plate over to my wife or uh, whoever I'm dining with that night. And it's uh, you know, to me, it's kind of embarrassing. I'm 44 years old and can't cut my meat. So I normally order something that I can cut either with a fork or a sandwich where I can like eat, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I might even have to order off the uh, kid's menu, you know, <laughs> you know dog or chicken figots. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's a shame that I have to do that, but um, you know, those are the cards that were dealt with me and you, and you just try to do what you, you know, try to do, but you know, the best you can with a limited uh, capacity, so to speak. Yeah.
1: I was going to say, going back to that, Referee in the basketball, the one thing that I was impressed with the first time I, whoever the other ref was, um, you were moving quicker than he was. You could you could go up and down the court, and he was kind of making the plays from a distance. And I, that's always something that's important to me is that the ref. I know you guys switch off; one stays top, one stays bottom. But you were more on moving around more and being it, making sure that you could see the play.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, I pride, you know, when I walk into a gym and, you know, I, you know, I hear those whispers, you know, you know, you gotta kind of, you know, I feel like I have to work a little bit harder. And I pride myself, you know, on my game management skills and trying to be in position to make a call. So, so I do work hard to, you know, get into, you know, to get in those positions so a coach can't complain or or, you know, if coach does yeah. ask a question, I can tell him, hey, I was right there. You you know, and, and you know, this is what I'm going to see, you know. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's something I work hard at. I mean, I found, you know, I mean, as you get older in refereeing, whether you have a disability or not, you find ways to cheat. You know, talking to other officials, I, I found ways to cheat at a young age. I mean, I started at the age of 22, I think. And here I am uh, 44, so 22 years later. I'm um, still uh out there refing and uh enjoying the uh local high school athletes. So
1: Yeah, well let's just keep the make sure we get that straight. When you say cheat, doesn't mean you're gonna change a call or do something. What it means is you're, you're you're you know, you gotta co you gotta ref four games in AAU in one day or something and yeah. you know, most people yeah. be exhausted after one game and you you're gonna be doing One at nine, one at 11, one at two in the afternoon, and one at four, you know, these tournaments.
2: So, so when you, you know, by, you know, by, you know, what I mean by cheat is like positioning yourself on the floor so you, so you don't get beat down the floor. So, you know, a lot of officials will go like foul line extended, you know, because they're younger and quicker. But I've been told by a lot of older veterans to work the arc, so to speak. So, so stay outside the three-point line you know if it, if it if the ball does get dumped in you know you know take a step or two in to be that support for your uh lead official but um you know and you're got to know your personnel you know you're going to know the you know teams that are playing and you know what they like to do if the team likes to run then then you need to take a step back if, if, if the team likes half court offense then maybe you don't have to cheat as much to the half court side maybe you can cheat in to help out you know, and support your, you know, brother official.
1: Right. I was going to say, for those that um, don't follow basketball, probably the toughest call is to, is this a charge or is this a blocking foul? And you are got to know whether they're clear of the circle or in the circle. And that's that little arc that's down by the basket. And I'm every time I watch an NBA game or a college game, I say, wow you know, the referee got that one, right. The guy really was outside the semicircle, you know, it's like, you cause it happens so quick. That's the thing that things happen so quick. And you, um do you blow your whistle quickly? You have to, you have to keep it in your mouth all the time. Or how does that work?
2: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you know, I mean, a good official always has their whistle in the mouth all the time, you know, Um, you know, you You know, you try to do what you can, um, you know, to take it out so you can, you know, I'm a big believer of communicating with coaches if, uh, you know, if the coach wants to communicate in a um, dignified manner, if he's going to yell and scream, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to communicate with him as much. Um, But, you know, you try to keep the whistle in, you know, the game goes quick, you know, um, and, uh, you know you know, and you're absolutely right. The block charge is the hardest call in basketball, in my opinion. And, um, but, you know, at the high school level, it becomes harder because there is no semicircle. So, so there's no restrictions on where you have to be on the court in in order to, you know, get that charge call or that block
1: call. You just can't be moving. You have to have your feet planted. Yes. No sliding in front of the guy when he's driving in and getting in the way and that sort of thing. Now, the last thing about that is when you when the, usually, like I see some referees that go like 2-2, two, two, meaning the person's number was 22. Now, you're doing it all with one hand, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when I first started out doing high school games, so my first four years of officiating, I primarily did um, youth, youth officiating where I'd be repping three to five games a day, sometimes eight. Because, you know, I go do a morning session and do an afternoon session. Um, But as I progressed in my officiating career, I went to a couple camps and I was I was doing some things with my right hand. And, um, you know, I had a observer say, hey, Ryan, you know, why don't you do everything one handed, chop in your time and, you know, make your counts one handed. And, you know, that's what they do in the college game. and And it looks a lot, a lot more sharper um the only thing they do really two-handed is report files, um which you know is tough for me to do um I don't have you know my finger dexterity is not very good on my right side of my body um I'm able to make a a one that's about it so um so I get everything um you know one-handed which is fine I mean again you know um you know you make modifications as you go you know whether it be in officiating or in life you know I've had to make a lot of modifications um, but, you know, I also communicate to the table, um, you know, like you're supposed to. So like, um, it's, um, and I don't think anyone notice, notices the difference, you know, um, you know, if you're watching a high school game, you know, maybe you do Tony, cause you've been around and other officials who are in the stands, Hey, you know, that guy's reporting one-handed that, you know, the common fan doesn't know. So uh, no, they don't.
1: I mean, also I when you do you a three-point a three-point shot, you'll usually raise, looks oh, like, you know, you, you do the same thing like somebody kicked an extra
2: point. Yeah. Uh, and so, so you. So I'll tell you a funny story about that real quick is uh, with the three-point shot, I, I'm able to raise my right hand, but it might not go up as straight as the other person. So there's a handful of guys around the circuit that call me one and a half, which is kind of funny. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's very good. Yeah, because I did a lot of score and I coached, in the summer league and in the fall league. And then I would, I would be on the scoreboard scorebook for games, you know, for the, especially the, the away games, because I'd be the official for the away team. And then, but the uh, scorebook for the home team was always the super official, you know, but I I always, always had a hard time because some guys just yell out the numbers without seeing the, you know, but once you know the technique, it's, it's easy. Um, let's go back to your childhood. Sure. So when, when you were old enough to go to kindergarten or, or first grade, um, at that time point in time, you, you obviously figured that something was different about the way you were, I know, what did you realize first
2: what was, what was that like? So, you know, um, I believe, and I don't, I don't know what they call it back then or what they call it now, but I went to some early intervention stuff, you know, to get, you know, so I could, you know, there were, you know, I went to, I've I've been going to, I was going to school at the age of three, like most people, it was a preschool, but, you know, um, this preschool offered physical therapy and occupational therapy, which I went through um, all the way up till I was about, I don't know, 14, 15, something something like that. And, um, you know, so obviously, you know, I knew, you know, I knew At an early age, I was, uh, you know, different than other kids and um, I I was able and uh, I think it was really second grade. I really knew what some knew I was um, really different because, you know, that's when I started getting into youth sports. I also, uh, you know, baseball and and basketball and soccer. I also in February of that year, which I want to say was, I don't know, man. I'm old, so 86, something like that. Um, I I ended up going in for a, a um, surgery where they lengthened my heel cord on my right side because, um, you know, prior to that surgery, I, I would walk on my toes a lot. You know, I, I wasn't a, a normal person walks heel to toe. And, um, you know, with my cerebral palsy, I was kind of shuffling my feet, you know, my right foot and walk on my toes. So it was really second grade is when I started to notice a little different you know, um, because of, you know, athletics and obviously that surgery played a big part. Were you able to
1: play any youth sports?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I was, I don't want to say I was a great, at you know, I mean, I played, you know, I don't want to say I was a great athlete, but, I, but, but I could hold my own all the way up to about eighth grade. Um, you know, I, you know, in the fall, you know, for, you know, I would play, uh, soccer. And I played soccer all the way up till about seventh grade, really didn't care for the game. I, I mean, I walked, you know, I, I, played it, but it, it's not something that I really got into. Um, and then in the winter I would play basketball. Um, you know, I could shoot and, uh, I can dribble left-handed, but, um, if me and you were to play one-on-one, you take away my left, I can't go right. So I can't dribble with my right hand. Um, and then, in the spring and the summer, I would, I would, uh, play baseball, believe it or not. And I, and I, um, formed, um, a pretty, uh, if you've ever heard of, uh, Jim Abbott from California angels, who was a one handed pitcher, you know, he was born without a right hand. Um, I pretty much, um, co- copycatted him where I would make a fist with my right hand and slide the glove on and off. And I still do that to this day when I'm playing catch with my son or, uh, you know, I. Yeah. I I remember Jim Abbott really well. And I was always afraid that
1: somebody was going to hit a line drive back at him when he couldn't get the glove on quick enough, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I just remember, you know, my dad reading me a story. I was, I was playing baseball at the time and I was always holding the glove just down by my, down by my side. And my dad, you know, we were on vacation and my dad was reading a sports illustrated story back in 1988 when Jim Abbott was on the U.S um olympic team and um read read me this story and we we talked about hey maybe we can do that and the very next day um i was outside uh throwing a tennis ball up against the chimney so and working on that you know that switch which is pretty cool yeah
1: well that's what i admire about you the most is the courage to to just go right at it and say you know i'm not going to stop here this is this is going to be me, and I'm going to make it work. Right. I, that's you know. Um, so now, and when you were in the varsity at Whitman Hanson, um, yep. you became the the you asked you which John Dave what's his name Bancroft. You, yeah, Bob Bancroft. <clears throat> yeah, it's Bob Bancroft. Yep. Yeah, Bob, and he, he let you be the manager of the team.
2: Yeah. That so, yeah. So the one sport that's always eluded me is football it's something I've always wanted to play. It's something that I've always wanted to do. Um, and, and, and I'm going to tell you, it was tough for me to do because um, because I have a younger brother, Kevin, was a really good athlete. And, um, you know, it's it's tough to watch your younger brother succeed on the athletic fields when you're, you know, when you're dealing with a physical disability, because you just wonder yeah. what, what if, you know, what if, it, you know, what if I didn't have this? Where, you know, where could I have been, you know? Um, but, uh, football is the one sport that's always, you know, eluded me. So I had the opportunity when I was in, actually in eighth grade, become the, uh, statistician and team manager for Whitman Hanson. And that was back in 1991. And, um, from there it kind of took off. I mean, it kind of took off and, uh, I fell in love with the game, you know, and, um, it's kind of, um, you know, stuck with me for the past 30 years. Yeah, I was going to
1: say, it's been a while. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. um, And then as a statistician, what type of techniques, because I mean, I I find with two hands, it's hard to do. I was doing, you know, basketball on the radio, football on the radio and trying to keep track of how many, how many um, yards each person is, how many did he get eight yards? And then you got to add the next nine and keep the running thing going. And holding paper and doing everything,
2: you have yeah, to, you know, it, an octopus. Yeah, How do yeah, you manage so, that? Yeah, so it's definitely a challenge. Um, I think the biggest uh, friend I have in the statistician game is is, is a clipboard, um, obviously, you know, and a uh, clipboard, you know, I, I mean, I can, I'm able to hold the clipboard with my right hand. You know, I'm, I, I do have some function to my right hand um, where I can hold things or cut things, so to speak. So, um, the clipboard is really saved my life when it comes to my statistician days. Um, and, uh, the first, I don't know, 12 years of me doing stats for Bob and I did it from eighth grade all the way till I was even like 20, 21, cause I, it's just something I knew I wanted to do. Maybe get into coaching one day, whatever, which, which we can talk about maybe a little bit later on, but, um, um, I want to say the first 10 or 12 years. I was patrolling the sideline. and the one thing I was always worried about was, I mean, I, I mean I could go go line to go line, but the one thing I, could, I was always worried about was getting uh, you know, knocked over by a play. And um, you know, I think a couple times it might have happened. But the last few years I was with Bob and then um, moved on to Pembroke. Um, I did a lot of my stuff up in the net in the uh, in like what the coaches call the nest. you know, you go up on top of the press box. And I actually became a set of eyes for our offensive coordinator back then, you know, he's like, how would you like to do your stats up, up top? And then you can just, you know, give me some ideas of, you know, you know, what the, you know, defensive ends doing or what the secondary is doing, or, you know, uh, you know, where's this linebacker. So it, and so I think it really helped him and it really made me feel more of a coach than a statistician. The last couple of years, which was which is always tough because um, sometimes I just—I'll be honest with you—you you know, sometimes you know when you're a statistician or whatever, you don't feel part of, you know, you don't really feel part of a team. You
1: know, yeah, you know. I could,
2: <clears throat> yeah, I could, I could see that. part. you know, you
1: when you're as you say up in the crow's nest, yeah. uh, doing the thing, you can see which guy is going to be the easiest hole to run through. After a while, you can see you could spot the weaknesses. And I would say that you're probably pretty pretty good at that. If you can spot when somebody reaches their hand in and fouls somebody, it's the same idea. You're gonna you have to keep an eye on where their hands are and what they're doing. So if you the basketball and the football kind of helps there. Um so so when did you start coaching
2: uh as a and what level? Yeah, so um it was probably I want to say 2005 was when i first really got my first paid coaching gig at whitman hanson uh after you know you know bob left after the 2001 season where we won a super bowl and then i stayed on a couple more years with the, the the coach um who you know preceded him uh sean clifford and um then i had the opportunity to go to pembroke for a year where you know they were a new school and they were looking they were trying to fill out their coaching staff and the coach asked me to come along and do stats again and he as much as i didn't really want to go a couple of my good friends were going and they said look at this is the opportunity for you to do stats and start like a school records because it's a brand new school so and that really really enticed me um but after a year it just wasn't for me so i went back so um You know, Whitman Hanson came calling again and they offered me a, like a, you know, a varsity position where I was like a position coach and pretty much did JV stuff for them. And I I stayed there for a few years and bounced back to Pembroke and then over to Spelman, and uh, the last three years, I've kind of come full circle as much as I, um, would love to be part of the staff, like the coaching staff and give my input, uh, at situate high. I've been, you know that's not what they need right now, which is understandable. Uh, cause they're a great group of guys and great staff. So come full circle and I'm like their statistician the last three years. And, uh, um, I'm very happy there. So it's, it's great. Well,
1: the, the word on the street is though, you, you're a good motivator or you're encouraging with for the players.
2: Um, well, well I think I, well, I two reasons that. I could see that they, they can't, yeah, no, I can. I appreciate that very much. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think that's one of the things, you know, I will say this. I am not the strongest X's and O's guy when it comes to football. Um, obviously, not having to play the game, you know, you know, that's a different understanding. I understand that. But I also believe that you don't have to play the game or play a game to to coach it or to recognize it. Right. Um, there's no, no- I, I,
1: I agree wholeheartedly because I know in especially in baseball, guys like, you know, who are not even players that made it to the bigs turn out to be the best coaches because they have a different sense to the game than like superstars, like Larry Barrett. I didn't think, or Michael Jordan, those kind of guys really can't coach very well because they want everybody to be like them, you know, instead of focusing on the whole thing and focusing on and um, coaching the right people at the, you know, the right way at the right time. Sure. You know, and encouragement. That's the big thing is encouragement. I always give them encouragement is
2: my theory. Yeah, and I think I think that's uh, one of my strong suits, you know. Um, you know, I might again I may not bring anything X's and O's to Coach Devine and his staff, but um, you know, I, I, I enjoy talking with the kids and you know, and they you know, if they say I'm I'm a motivator because of my um story or whatever, then so be it. I mean, it's. I just like getting the word out there. Um, it's not to help me or feed my ego. Um, you know, my wife will tell you. Um, you know, my ego doesn't need any feeding, I guess. But uh, <laughs> okay, but it's, um, it's it's really just to get it. You know, get the word out there that you know people with disabilities just want to be involved and be a part of something. Yeah. yeah, well, that's that's the big thing that I
1: I feel that you you show people and. Yet, you know, some people do it behind the scenes. You're right out there on the scene, you know. So, uh, and this year, was it this year you got to go to the Super Bowl at Gillette?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, this past, uh, you know, this past fall, I've been very, I was very fortunate to be part of such a special group. And uh, from starting with the coaching staff, you know, Herb Devine and Mike Avini and Keith Sweeney and Kevin Regan, those are all all women, Hanson guys as well. And, uh, you know, Glenn Frazier and all those guys, Coach Stewart, you know, they're all great guys. And I, I've, been, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of that. And then, um, you know, these uh, kids are very special and, um, you know, really good athletes, but better, better um, you know, better people. And, um, you know, as a father of an eight-year-old son who was a water boy. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they I mean from coach Devine all the way down to the last player on that team they treated him like gold
1: and so, uh, did your you know, that, son get a ring you know and that was very special to me you know Yeah. did your son get a ring uh <laughs> do they give rings for high school Super yeah Bowl? yeah
2: so I guess we get our I guess we got our rings um sometime in April um I don't think he's getting a ring you know we we you know we kind of discussed it but uh it's probably not the best thing for him. Um, I'm okay, sure I'm sure they'll lose something special. Not that they have to, because he just enjoys being part of it. Um, but um, and I'm sure he'll be taking my ring to school to show show it off. I just hope he doesn't lose it.
1: Okay, better insure it then. Um, no, were you up in the crow's nest or were
2: you down on the field? No, so I so so the last three years I situated, I've been down on the field and. Um, a reason for that is um I'm doing a lot of a lot of uh interesting things for City when I track their plays and um, I don't have a total grasp of their um terminology so and they signal everything in by hand for the most part so for me to get that i so a normal a normal um cadence or whatever it would be Um, it gets signal in by hand and then, uh, a backup quarterback relays the message to me. And then I write it down, um, with my, uh, you know, with my pen and paper and, um, and then later on that night or, or Saturday morning, I go, I go into our computer program huddle that um, every coach on the South shore has. And I, and I put all that data into huddle for coach divine. So he can show the kids film on monday or saturday afternoon or whatever they do
1: and um, you have
2: to forgive me but i don't know what was the score of that game what's that well, what's what was it? the score oh, of those oh yeah uh yeah the score was uh was it 14 it was 14 13 epic game where we were down 10 nothing then we were down 10 to six i think and then it got the 13 to 13- six and then we scored with uh 27 seconds left and give cre- credit to coach divine we went for two and uh pulled off the two-point conversion to beat duxbury 14 to 13. so uh you played duxbury too huh yeah it was, and duxbury
1: has uh, always played in a higher up division usually so
2: yeah um, i mean there's a whole new format going around you know in the high school sports here in massachusetts so um it does I like to think it does pit um, the two, um, you know, tough teams or, you know, the top two teams in all the state against each other for the most part. I thought it worked out pretty nice.
1: Talking about cerebral palsy and his, and his challenges in life and how well he succeeded. And I would like to say that he is definitely uh, kind of like a poster boy of somebody that uh, has the courage to hope, like the name of our show. And, I think he's done a phenomenal job with that. So Ryan, what what, next month is going to be cerebral palsy month. It's the whole month. And I, but I understand there's one day that's a special day.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, I found this out, I don't know, uh, five or six years ago where, um, cerebral palsy awareness month is, um, you know, during the month of March, and I believe it's, uh, March 25th, you know, and, um, so uh, last year was really my first year really getting behind it in years past i would just kind of talk talk to, you know talk to my wife about it try to get a, a present out of her or something you know something funny <laughs> uh, yeah. and uh, but you know last you know last um year was i really got behind it um so so i'm looking forward to doing it and you know looking forward to doing it again this year
1: so i understand you went out and uh... You asked some of your friends and I was looking here that uh the gentleman that owns the Magoon Biggins funeral home. Um, he he donated some things for the for the like t-shirts or something? Or was how is that? Yeah. How-
2: yeah. So uh last year what I did was um you know through the power of social media, I started posting a daily post on my dealings with cerebral palsy on a daily basis, and it was something that you know you know something as simple as you know I can't cut a steak like we discussed earlier, it might have been something. That I have overcame having cerebral palsy it might have just been a thank you to the people you know some people in my life, because I wouldn't be where I am today without a lot of these Community uh, supporters and a lot of supporters, whether it be my family, friends, coaches, what you know, what have you. Um, but, you know, as I was thinking last year, you know, um, you know, I was talking with my good friend, Dan Biggins. Like you said, he's the owner and operator of McGloom Biggins Funeral. I re- and he said, this is great. You know, what, you know and I'm like, oh, I, I appreciate it. And he wanted to do some bigger and better things. And we're just kind of racking our brains. I said, and something just went off in, in my head, and uh, we had a you know unique opportunity last year um, because of COVID and um, and the high school football season being played in uh, March to do something with high school football. And I'm a big believer of giving back to my community and giving back to the people that have always you know given to me. So. Um, with with the band Biggins and McGoon Biggins Funeral home, we were able to go down and donate um, t shirts to both the Whitman Hanson football program. And that's where I'm from. That's where I got my start as we discussed earlier. And then obviously situate and um, there were not any just regular t shirts. They were uh, green with you know, which is uh, cerebral palsy's color. So um, we were able to do that, which was uh, fantastic. I thank Dan and his staff at Begin's Funeral Home for getting behind this.
1: And then you also had Damien's Pub donate gift certificates, and um, you had other things that happened as well. Um are you going to be looking for more things like that this year yeah. again?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, Damien's Pub, Damien Cahill last year, you know, I had a – one of the things that I did was I – On my social media account, you know, on my Facebook account, I encourage people to wear green on um, March 25th, which is cerebral palsy day, and post it to my social media account. And um, I went in to Damien's Pub on a Sunday morning, um, which is in Hanson, Massachusetts. It's my local watering hole, so to speak. Uh, That's the one on Route 58? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Damian, Damian, you know, Damian Cahill is a terrific guy. He will do anything for the community of Hanson. And, uh, I went in to go purchase two $25 gift certificates for my contest. Saying to myself, well, you know, I want to get back to Damian. He was going through a tough, you know, like every restaurant, they were going through tough times with COVID and I wanted to, you know, do something. And, uh, I said, well, you know, let me tie this in with Damian. And to my surprise, when I told Damon I was going to buy um, two gift certificates, he's like, what are these for? And I explained to him what I was going to do. And he said, I don't need your money. And he offered to give me a couple more gift certificates, which was great. And, um, you know, I really, yeah. I really appreciate him.
1: Well, that's a good businessman kept giving back to the community that got him what he, what he has today, you know, the way I see that.
2: Absolutely. No.
1: Um, and when you see you, do you ever have any like gatherings where other people with cerebral palsy get to meet you, and you get to meet them, and and um, uh, I, I would think you could be a a, a cerebral palsy motivational you know, coach
2: if you know. If, yeah. No. No. I appreciate that. Um. So I do have a couple of acquaintances, so to speak, um, that I've. I've talked to or, or, you know, gotten to know them over a few years, um, you know, and uh, a lot of them are younger than me and parents, you know, you know, in, in one occasion I reached out to, and this was years ago, I reached out to a parent because their son had had did a video about him having cerebral palsy and why not to be afraid of him, you know, and this and all thing. And I read the story and it really touched my heart. And I, reached out to the newspaper article uh you know the you know the journalist who wrote that article and um gone in contact with that family and i was able to meet that that um young man and i think now he's in his uh mid-20s and you know we connect on facebook from time to time and uh and uh, he's doing extraordinary things as well
1: is he a local
2: person or yeah yeah no no he's a local person i believe he lives in abington
1: Oh yeah, that's very local. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, if somebody needs to get a hold of you, how do they go about doing that? Because they want to participate in this in the Cerebral Palsy Month drive. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Sure. know I appreciate that. Uh, I mean, they could they could obviously reach me um, via social media. Just uh, you know, reach out to uh, Ryan Cadres and that's C A D R E S, and uh, you know, shoot me a message through social media or if they wanted to just reach out via email, it's Ryan Cadres, again, C-A-D-R-E-S at gmail.com. And uh, I've got a couple things up my sleeve this year. Um, I think I'm still gonna do the picture, you know, flood, you know, I call uh flood Facebook green um, on the 25th and, uh, you know, and try to do something fun and exciting for those guys and, uh, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. Community-based uh, people want me to, you know, do things like a meat raffle and donate to cerebral palsy, which is all fine and good. I, I totally understand that, but that's not what I'm about. I'm about getting the community involved. You know, whether it be Whitman Hanson Situate, whatever. Um, you know. So they can help me spread the message because I'm just one person. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not. I can't do it myself. So I think it's important to get community people involved.
1: So, um, how prevalent is cerebral palsy? I mean, is it? it can is there like a number per a thousand or per hundred thousand?
2: Um,
1: still, today as it was twenty years ago, have they made any?
2: Yeah, no. I mean, endotes? yeah, that's a good question, and. Being the stat guy, I should probably know this, but I, you know, I don't really, you know, like I said, you know, like I've, like I've said to people, I'm, again, I'm very fortunate to have such a mild case where I'm able to walk and talk and do, do things I enjoy doing, like, uh, refereeing basketball, coaching, playing golf, being able to run around with my children, um, you know, but there are people out there that aren't so fortunate and, um, you know, and they're living their best lives. And uh, it's important its important that we rally behind them, you know, rally behind them and, um, you know, make their lives um, something special as well. You know, like I've always said, you know, this is not about me, it's about the mission and it's about the word I'm trying to bring. Um, it's about, a, you know, being able to, you know, support, People with disabilities. I mean, there are people out there with disabilities, you know, that don't have jobs. There are people out there that, you know, just want companionship, and I think that's very important um, to a lot of people, including myself.
1: And you, you have been a school teacher as well, right?
2: Yeah. So I've I've been um, I've been fortunate enough to be a school teacher for the last fifteen years. Um, unfortunately, in both cases, I've been let go um for low enrollment with one and another one just cuz I couldn't pass my Massachusetts MTEL exams and um and it's it's I love I love being a school teacher and uh, last 3 years I uh, I'll be honest with you I've been out of work um a lot, a lot of it had to do with covid my wife Erica who um has been working her tail off at South Shore Hospital in emergency room you know um so i've had to transition to stay-at-home dad but i'm i'm ready to get back out there in the workforce whether it be teaching or doing something else and um it's hard it's hard for me you know people say there's a lot of jobs out there and i'm sure there are but i'm a college graduate and um every anytime i go looking for a job and one of the questions they ask is are you disabled and you kind of wonder you know should i click that box because if, if I click that box, am I gonna get a fair shake? You know, um, but I click it because it does say cerebral palsy and um, I'm not getting a whole lot of interviews and whether that be teaching or whatever. Um, so, you know, so that's on a selfish note, I guess, this is another reason to why I'm doing this is not to make me prevalent, but to make other people prevalent of, you know, what's going on in the, in the you know people with disabilities community so to speak yes there's a lot of people who uh prejudge or prejudice or whatever
1: the word is and um uh, and uh, again i could say that you know once they've seen what your ability is and how you handle it and how you do it uh there's no question that you that with all your disability which is as you say isn't a lot compared to some of the other ones with cerebral palsy but it's enough It's enough and it's obvious and you still can't eat a piece of steak without help, you know. So, I mean, once they see stuff that's really important, you know, um, from refereeing to being a motivational coach. And I think anybody who's a good coach could be a good teacher, probably better than average because you understand winning and losing. And I think that's really critical. And you've had to go uphill with your career. And you you keep climbing, you know. If somebody knocks you down, it seems to me that you get right back up and say, "Watch, and I'll show you how to ref. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know, say it out loud, but I know you say it internally.
2: Yeah. You know? No. It's. Uh, yeah. I mean. I mean. You hit it right on the head, and I'll be honest with you. There's. There's times where I just. I mean, I don't want to get back up, and that's and that's no, you know. I mean, it's not that anything, but you know, I'm just sometimes, uh, you know, I've had to fight for a lot of things in my life. And for once, I would just like not have to fight and just be able to, you know, go through life and or go through a challenge and not be like, oh, man, I got to fight for this position or, you know, I got to go up against this person or I got to go up against that. And uh, I mean, it's definitely difficult, but I think in the long run, it makes me a better man and a better father, which um, that, you know, that that's one of the whole reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing is to show my kids, um, yep, you know,
1: that's important. And I'd say at 44 years old, I think you've accomplished a great deal. i you uh, know, you've, you've yeah. got a college degree, you've taught school for 15 years, you've been to the Super Bowl, and you've got a chance to be what Bill Belichick has to, where he has to stand. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's like, there's I a lot of things you. there that, you know, as
2: far yeah. as I would I'm, be
1: concerned is on a resume, you know,
2: sure. that would I'm be, I I would love to ref that game in the garden. That's, that's, that's on my bucket list. You know, Uh do it, who knows, but, uh, I think it'd be cool just to get on that. I mean, I've been able to be on that floor a couple of times for other things, but, um, I mean, my passion right now is officiating basketball and I would love to do that game at some point in my career.
1: Okay. Well, anybody sees you out there, uh, they should come by and say hello to you and, and tell them you know i have you know what you who you are and and that you and i know it's it's easy as i say as i say you always get back up but i understand that you can easily get um it's it's tough and depression can probably take over a little bit you know um but but you do it one way or the other you fight through it and that's what counts and um and i'm and i'm very proud to say that I know you, that you've been able to do all this. So you've been listening to the courage to hope and you've been listening to Ryan Kadris, um of Hanson, who is a top notch referee and a very good football assistant or assistant or coach or motivator on covers all grounds. And we really want to thank you for your time, Ryan. And remember everybody it's March is the um, Cerebral palsy month and the 25th, is that correct? Or
2: 26th? I believe it's the 25th. Um the 25th. I was looking, and working
1: back so,
2: on the other night. So
1: and the magic color is green. So there's about 80% of our listening audience is Irish. So they'll have St. Patrick's Day a week before. So they'll still have all their green shirts around and available. You know, and if you would like to help Ryan with his cause, please get a hold of him you have a, what's your, uh, your email address again?
2: Yeah. Ryan Cadras, all one word. So first name, last name, and that's C A D R E S at gmail.com.
1: Okay. Easy enough. And just tell Ryan how you'd like to help him. And again, thank you very much for your, for coming on and sharing your story, Ryan. Well, really appreciate
2: having, it. Thanks for having me. And, uh, I really appreciate you guys doing this and, uh, hopefully it will, um, it'll bring some awareness to not only cerebral palsy but for those for for disabled people whether it's uh, cerebral palsy or something different.
1: Thank you.